Hi, this is Julie Dolan. This is Liz Dolan. This is Sheila Dolan. This is Monica Dolan. This is Leanne Dolan. You're listening to another classic, classic, classic episode of Satellite Sisters to Go. Not every conversation will change your life, but any conversation, any conversation, any conversation can. <laughs> Welcome back to you, Sheila. Oh, right before we came on, I was like, oh my gosh, am I going to remember how to do this? Leon, you should just talk. Yes. Okay. How's it go? So far, so good, Sheila. Where the do you su- say our names and then everybody's I'm name. going to introduce everyone right now. My sister Liz is here and my sister Leon, the LA-based flight crew. Hey, girls, how you doing? Good, Great, Sheila. Sheila. Welcome back. Nice to see you. Feels like you've been gone forever. I know, I know. And thank you for all the emails and calls and no, we not didn't email really. You. No. Yeah. no. I, oh, and thanks oh. for my birthday emails and calls. Oh, oh wait. Oh, yeah. Happy birthday, you didn't Lynn. say that. To that me. was yesterday. Thank you. Okay. No, but I know a bunch of people were, you know, worried. Where did Sheila go? No. Oh, just one. Robin, Robin. from Ventura. <laughs> uh, but I was in New York all week. And when I came back, I, I was surprised to see we have a new segment today. Oh. We which do. I'm very excited about. It's called, Look What I Found! <laughs> Exclamation mark. Look what, what I found. What is that? It's a new segment, Liz, about we are going to share products, services, food, maybe merchandise that we found over the week, and we want to share with the sisters. All right. Okay, Just so- stuff we really like or really don't like. Exactly, Liz. Okay. Okay, pretty simple. Um, so, and speaking of, I have mine covered up. Don't look over in this yeah, area. I'm not. I'm sorry. Okay. Your hand drew my attention. It, <laughs> to, it has it's a... helpful when you point at it and say, don't look over here. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Well, I was in New York all week, and I was in New York on the coldest week of the year. Yeah. They had a big, big storm Tuesday night. Actually, it wasn't, it wasn't that it was a storm. It was that... You know, it was sleeting, and it was cold, and it was messy, and it was gray. And what happened was I was there for a week, so I arrived on Sunday. Mm-hmm. Monday was, was, was cold, and I knew it would be, but I was prepared for the week. Because as you remember, I brought something along with me called brown coat. All right? <laughs> okay. Now, this was my friend Catherine's brown, brown coat, coat, but it became more than just a coat. It really became an experience, you know, that I had uh, wearing sort of a, a full length, not exactly shearling. It's 100 percent polyester, <laughs> but it looks like suede. OK. okay? And huh, it was okay. her mother got it at the uh, Burlington Coat Factory. Um, it was a Calvin Klein. It fit me perfectly. And I wore it. Every single day except for the last day. Right. And boy, did you need it. Because the the temperatures were in the teens, Liz. I know. I was there at the end of the week. It was really cold. It was really, really cold. So, you know, what I did every morning was I decided what underlayer I was going to do. Because I had silk underwear. And then I had, you know, my leggings. Um that I bought for Thanksgiving, which didn't go over well. So I just used those as an underlayer. Good idea. All right? That's um, what they look like. Right. And then, um, you know, I'd put on my regular clothes. I had my big black snow boots, which I bought two years ago when I visited New York. And then I had brown coat. Yeah, right. All right? And everywhere I went, people really commented on the coat. I mean, they really... 
people liked it. I mean, everywhere I went, and so I enjoyed that. And I, um, you're making it sound like the whole weather thing was incredibly <laughs> daunting to you. But you lived in New York City for 20 years, Sheila. You only recently moved to California from Manhattan. But I'm a real Southern California girl now. I think, Leanne. I think you'd be happy to know that it wasn't fun being in the snow for me anymore. And plus, it wasn't just regular snow. It was sleet. All right. Yeah, it was very slippery. And then there's, you know, something called traffic cars that make the snow really dirty and gross and then there was a a little bit of snow removal problem liz remember mayor bloomberg had a difficult time explaining to people why streets weren't being cleared yeah and people were really up in arms over that Well, they were up in arms because all of their cars were getting ticketed (laughs) because they could you know it's alternate side of the street parking in new york just to try to keep everyone moving all the time you have to move your car from one side of the street to the other every single day but if the other side of the street is full of snow banks you can't move it to the other side so people were getting multiple tickets because they could n- there was no place else to put their car. Right. Oh, okay. okay. So, I mean, I did do a lot of walking because my apartment where I, that I was renting was sort of centrally located in my old hood. Okay. So it was in the, in the West Village. So that was good. But there were, there were occasions when I really, you couldn't walk on the sidewalk and you really needed a cab. So I had one. <laughs> <laughs> you really needed a cab. And so I did a lot of that. And it, again, the brown coat, brown coat is... Is big enough to keep you warm, but you know, big enough also. It's difficult to get into a cab with brown coat. I bet it's like an extra thing you have to sort of, you know, heave, heave over, <laughs> heave over into the seat and get yourself situated once again on brown coat. Now, um, I must say, I haven't told my friend Catherine this. There was one Uh-oh. time when I moved from the sidewalk because it was too gross, Leanne, out into the street because it was really like snow day. I mm-hmm. mean, there was no one in the street at one point, and very few cars were, you know, cabs were moving very slowly. And I stood in the street for a second, Liz, and all of a sudden, a cab rode by, slush, up on the brown coat, Liz. Uh-oh. And I had a freak out. I mean, I really, I had to, like, scramble for napkins and some other, like, some, to get... You didn't have wipes with you? No, I had... you normally oh, would. No, I used up all the wipes on the plane. <laughs> I mean, I did a whole wiping thing, Leanne. Right. Because I read you. that report. But, um, I quickly... What report? <laughs> what where, report? Where you can get, like, TB from the trays. Okay. okay so I... Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but you managed to free and clear. No TB? No, yeah. So I did a whole wipe down. Now, I needed a dry, I needed an extra T-shirt of some kind to wipe off brown coat. I got, I got nervous that it was going to stain. Yeah. But again, it's polyester. It sounds like that coat's unstainable. Yeah, it's so the unstainable brown coat. It's unstainable. Okay, let's, let's, that I admit. But nevertheless, I did feel like I owed it to my friend Catherine when I returned back to Los Angeles to have brown coat cleaned. Yes, of, yes, yes, of course you yeah, did. Okay, absolutely. and she said, whatever you need to do. Okay, okay, guess what happened? I brought brown coat around. <laughs> To three dry cleaners yesterday, no one wanted to clean brown coat. No Why? One, no one wanted to take responsibility for cleaning it because no one could figure out what it was made of. <laughs> they, coat they, of unknown origin. I said it's 100% polyester. Please. It's my friend Catherine's. I had it for the week. They said, well, it looks like leather. It's not leather. It's 100% polyester. It could be suede. No one wanted to clean it. Everyone said, I need to send it out. Send it out where, I said. Well, to a special leather house. Now, that makes me worried because... Because it's not leather. Because <laughs> it's not leather. Exactly. <laughs> that's, just, that's just licensed to charge three times as much. Well, I don't care, Liz. I really don't care. At this point, I just want brown coat cleaned. Mm-hmm. So I went to three different cleaners. Uh-huh. And, you know, there's a very obnoxious high-scale cleaner in our neighborhood. Oh, there is. Yes. A oh, very, Liz. Very famous one. Why do... Why, 
I mean, why did I go in there? Why did I even think I could get... You know, it's like the soup Nazi running a dry cleaner. Yeah, yeah. That's what it's like. They only take in very high-end clothes. Right. And they charge, like, that'll be $150 to clean that T-shirt. Well, they wanted to charge me $85 (laughs) for cleaning the coat. And they first they had to do a stain test, Lynn. First they had to test it for a week. <laughs> then they were going to give me a call. Then they were going to possibly go to send it out. Catherine's mother only paid $100 for it <laughs> at Burlington Coat Factory. Did but you I, tell them that? But I Yes. Uh. At that point, I was like, I need brown coat cleaned. I said, I'm taking my coat from you. I'm not. And I went back to the original cleaner. Yeah. And I said, listen, th- this actually, this was the cleaner where I had the situation. This I know. Year. I'm surprised. <laughs> Where you accused them of foul play. Yes, but I made amends and I brought them the Halloween candy. Mm-hmm. So the slate is clean. Mm-hmm. And they, in fact, were the only ones who said, yes, we can clean it, but we need to send it out. Mm-hmm. So this is where I'm left, and I, I informed Catherine that brown coat, you know, is going to take a couple weeks. <laughs> she said, oh, and then a couple people said, well, why don't you wait till the season is over and then have it cleaned? I was like, I live in Santa Monica. There's no season. The season over. is over. <laughs> I was in New York. I just need the coat cleaned. So that is the saga of brown coat. Wow. Well, that's dramatic, Sheila. I'm glad, though, that you had a good time. I had a wonderful time. That you time. were w- well-dressed. I was well-dressed, um, well-fed, which I will tell you more about, mm-hmm. and had lots of social, lots of socializing, Leanne. That's okay. what New York is all about. <laughs> Well, for many people, the city that they live in is also about that. But that's just not not the life you lead here. You have your cozy couch and right. you have your routine. So I was out of my routine, but it was it was very, very fun, Lynn. All right. Coming up later on in this hour, look what I found. Or look what I found. Or, no, look what I found. Look what I found. We're, we're going to be filling you in on some of products and services that we found that we love here at Satellite Sisters. All right. But coming up, Sheila. I understand you had a close encounter at JFK with someone who you greatly admire. Oh, one of my just absolute idols. All man. right, I want to I want to find out all about that. Stay with us. We're the Satellite Sisters. guitar land all week in New York. I missed it. It's good to be back. We are the Satellite Sisters. Sheila Dolan here with my sisters, Liz and Leanne today. Uh, Some more travel talk. I just want to let you know that just by the grace of God, really, I did not fly JetBlue. Okay. Okay. That is a miracle because you have flown it in the past. I know. You're a big fan of that airline. Right. Even though Leanne is a total skeptic, has always been a skeptic. Very suspicious. Well, the thing is that it's convenient from our offices in Burbank, California, Mm -hmm. but it's not convenient from my home. So I just said, you know what? I still don't have that free flight from United. I'm going to fly to New York on United again. I mean, I have been flying for two years on that frequent flyer thing, and I still don't have any miles, uh, enough miles to get a free flight. You have to go more than twice a year. I mean, you really have to be a frequent 
Fly. All right. So that's why they call it that. Okay. Well, anyway, I was there. Okay. So what happened on Sunday when I was turning home is, stupidly, I left the you know at, for the airport at the appropriate time because you don't. There's no traffic on Sunday in New York, and you get to the airport, you get to JFK, and there's no one there. What's funny is that on Sunday I was flying home from New York, <laughs> and at the side my flight was leaving the same time Sheila Sheila's flight was leaving, but I was at Newark Airport <laughs> on Continental. She's at JFK. On United, and we're just at the airport so far in advance that we're talking to each other on the phone. Yeah, so I mean, I circled around. What I like to do when I'm at the United terminal is go over to the British Airways section. Oh, like, yeah, like I'm British. Right. Okay, it's a classy group. Yeah, hanging yeah, out yeah. Like you're going someplace really good. Yeah, something exotic, you yeah. know. So I, I'm, I, I hang out over there for were you a while. Looking for Rafe Fines, <laughs> hoping to engage in a midair tryst with Rafe Fines. Leon, yeah. I did not see Rafe Fines, but I saw another. Mega movie star. Oh, so really? check it out. So at I, British Airways? Well, like, no, not at British Airways. So I go over, of course, I go to McDonald's and try their new uh, chicken fajita snack wrap. Yeah. You, have you tried that yet? No. no. Okay. Grilled or fried. It's a nice little snick snack. Okay. Um, and, uh, you know, he had a couple concessions. And, and then I went over to the magazine, the big magazine store, uh-huh. uh, right next to where my gate was. And I wanted to get some cozy couch material. Sure. So I was searching, searching, searching for something trivial and mundane. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and I, That's hard, isn't it? At a, <laughs> at a big newsstand, whoo. Well, I did pick up the new Rachel Ray magazine, which I'm, I'm very oh, excited about. Oh, good. Yeah. That's some fresh material. Yeah, so there, there's some fresh material there. I know our engineer, John Ramos, would be interested in that. But right <laughs> as I'm looking at the Rachel Ray, more with Rachel Ray every day, I hear the distinctive voice. I see the waddle. I see the hair. I see the man. I see Dustin Hoffman. Oh, oh that's my a God. Good one. Wow. I mean, this is a great star sighting. Yeah. And I mean, he is just, you know, one of our, one of America's best actors, of course. And, and you in particular love him. I have a fondness for him. Yes. Um, since way back. I mean, I've loved every role he ever played. But really, the most of all, I love the small, small, you know, not small role. But the the this uh, the the unknown role that he had in one of my favorite movies of all time, Moonlight Mile, <laughs> Moonlight Mile, with Jake Gyllenhaal, yeah. Susan Sarandon, and Ellen Pompeo. I cannot recommend this movie enough. I and- cannot believe how often you find an excuse <laughs> on the air to bring up Moonlight Mile, you- Sheila. It is amazing how this is woven into all of your conversations about anything. Well, as soon as I saw him, I said, okay. I have to talk to him about Moonlight Mile. Yeah. Because no one, I'm sure, ever goes up to him about Moonlight Mile. I'm sure they uh, yeah. don't. And you know They mentioned The Graduate or, Yeah, you know, so small Rain movies. Man. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. Kramer versus Kramer. Right. <laughs> right, just a few small movies, you know. Uh, and so I was watching and saw him having a moment with his wife, having a tender, tender moment in the, in the magazine uh, store at JFK. And I realized, Leon, at that moment, I could not interrupt him. Oh, that was nice of you. You know, he was hugging and holding her close and talking about celebrities. But they were, you know, they were very... They you were, could hear what they were saying? Well, he said, she's outspoken. He's doing this. He's doing... I couldn't hear everything. Yeah. But believe me, I was close enough yeah. to, you know, say, to see them having that tender embrace. And I just could not bring myself to say anything. And now I regret it. Yeah. Now I regret it. That you should have busted up he and his wife to talk about the Moonlight, Moonlight Mile. <laughs> so Dustin, if you're listening, mm. anyone who knows Dustin, just just I'm sending those vibes out there that I own it. I've watched it 13 times <laughs> and counting. 
I love Moonlight Mile, and I particularly loved your performance, and I'm so sorry I didn't say anything <laughs> at JFK. Well, I'm sure he doesn't mind that you didn't interrupt them. But it is a good week, Sheila, for celebrity sightings around Los Angeles. Liz? Of course, he lives here all the time. He lives right? in Brentwood, I heard. Yes. yes I he... saw him at my, my grocery store. Okay, well, why didn't you say ago? something about Moonlight Mile? <laughs> for God's sake, someone tell him how much they enjoyed that movie. But this is a week where entertaining Sheila can be out and about seeing people all week. This oh, never, yeah. It never the gets Academy Awards. The Academy Awards on Sunday. They're all here right now, Sheila. You can find more of them. All right, coming up next, 866-33-SISTER is our number, 866-337-4783. Sheila, I want you to take off your entertaining Sheila hat and put on your Miss Sheila teacher hat. All right, Leanne. So you want to talk about a study that came out last week about how praise can actually be bad for kids. I want to find out what you saw in the classroom. We're the Satellite Sisters. Stay with us. Satellite Sisters, I'm Sheila Dolan here with my sisters today, Liz and Leanne. So Leanne, we were just we were just praising Ashton Kutcher on the break. <laughs> yes, but let's talk we're gonna talk about <laughs> We're moving on to something a little more serious. Yes. Yes. Because I saw half of the Guardian on the plane on the way home. And I gotta say, I really like Ashton Kutcher. We all He's do. He's very likable. He's very appealing. You yep, can't think of anything more him. specific to say about him, right. but that we like him. Totally, completely likable. And I wonder if his parents told him that when he was little. Ashton, you're so likable. You're a good boy. You're, <laughs> you're so, so likable, Ashton. <laughs> but no, Sheila, a study came out last week in, uh, in uh, let's see, which journal? It was a journal. The Journal of <laughs> Studies of Children. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I'm sorry about that. It came out in a journal about how child development, the Journal of Child Development, thank you very much, a Stanford professor looked at praise and what effect it can have on kids and their performance in school. All right. Because when you think about it, okay, for the last, like since 1969, we've been talking about self-esteem in kids. Right. How it's really important to build their self-esteem, to give them confidence, to praise them. And have you seen this? You've seen this in the classroom, right? Uh, absolutely, Lee. And I've taught every grade from kindergarten to sixth grade. So I know. I mean, mainly I was an early childhood educator, but I w did have occasion to teach third and fourth grade, which, you know, as my mentor used to say, just stay low, <laughs> stay low, <laughs> stay low. But yeah, I mean, I was a big, I would, I praised children a lot, Leanne. You did. I, that I, was your thing. I did that. I mean, I, I was a nice teacher. I just, I just loved kids and I love them for all different reasons. You know I mean? And I know the whole thing about praise is that it's supposed to be, well, researchers say that it's supposed to be specific. 
So if you read a child's piece of writing, you don't just say, I think this is really good writing. You pick out something in their writing that, you know, that you think is well done and you tell them that. But sometimes it's just an automatic response that you're just so happy when a child does something that they've never tried before. You just say, oh, this is great. Well, that's interesting that you say that because this research that they did was on fifth graders, okay? And they divided the group of fifth graders, about 128, into two groups. All right. And they gave them a fairly simple IQ test, one that they thought most of them are going to do quite well on. Okay, and then they told, they divided the group in two, and they told one group, well, you did quite well because you're very smart. And then they told the other group, you did quite well because you worked very hard. All right. And then they went on to give them further tests, but they let them sort of pick and choose how hard the test might be. And the group that had, they had been told they were smart, that's why they did well, they picked easier tests. Whereas the group that had been told you worked hard, they said, okay, well, let me try the next level. Let me get, let me take a more challenging test. Okay, And then All right. they kept, like, dividing them off and continuing to test them. And the group that had been, again, praised for working hard as opposed to, like, you're so smart. Oh, gosh, that's good. Continued to do better academically and to pick more challenging work. Oh, so the you work hard is a more specific kind of praise or more a directive kind of praise to give? Well, they think what happens is Not when you tell that. kids you're smart, they become risk-averse. They always want to be smart. And they don't try as hard. I mean, a student comes to mind, Eric Molly. I mean, I'm just thinking about Eric Molly, who I taught in first grade. And his whole life, his mother had been telling him he was a rocket scientist. Right. And yes, he was smart. His whole life up until first grade. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, that's a long time. And every year after that, because I guess what? I taught Eric again in fourth grade. Okay. And he wasn't doing any work by that time. He was such an underperformer. I could not believe it. And any time I'd give him a new task, he'd say, oh, no, 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 I'm smart. My, You know, I, I really, he, what, what, what happens is the child doesn't want to try anything because they're afraid they won't do well. And they'll been, fail. And they'll fail. So it's just a reversing happens where they become really underperforming well, that's and exactly, really afraid of risk. There you go. That's exactly what researchers found, the Eric Molly effect. Is that, <laughs> you know, poor Eric. Molly. I know. I wonder whatever he's happened. He's Noah Syndrome. <laughs> he's a rocket scientist. Actually, no, he's currently a rocket scientist. Uh, Have you seen this with your kids, Liam? Because what, what grades are your kids in? Okay, sixth and third grade. Uh-huh. And I have never been one of those parents that's been super effusive. I mean, you can see them on the playground like, oh, you came down the slide. Yeah, all right, <laughs> they came down the slide. So, I, you know, I've tried to be, ge- I mean, generous and, and give them praise, but I don't go over the top because it kind of makes me crazy when I see parents go over the top. But I will say the risk of first thing came, comes up with my older son, not um, – not in the classroom, uh, but it comes up on the sports field because he is a good little athlete right. and has always been told by others, by coaches, uh, and probably by us that he's a good little athlete. Yes. So if he can't do a sport, he doesn't want to try it. And oh. that's he likes to ma- he likes to be the master. So the things that he's good at, it's true. He's good at it, but like. Circus. They do a unit in uh, in their PE class. Well, you can't there. blame a kid for not wanting to do circus. I know. Well, that's because <laughs> he can't do it, so it becomes one of those self fulfilling. Like he won't even try it because he can't be the best 
at circus. Oh. Where he's used You to, don't win circus. No, and he's used to being the best. Well, if you're a competitive athlete, you can win anything, Liz. Let's put it, you can win circus, but yeah. he won't even try for circus. So I've seen that that has kind of backfired on him, the praise that he's gotten. Right. Uh, athletically, you, he won't even try something new. And you have to be careful what kind of praise you give because kids get smart and they know when you're not being genuine. Oh, okay. By third or fourth grade, They're they know. Oh, yeah. They know. Really? It's, oh, yeah. Under seven, forget it. You can say, yeah, I love that dress you're wearing today. You look so cute. Anything you say to an under seven-year-old is totally fine. It's uh-huh. all go- It's all good, as they say. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. But by third grade, kids know when you're just giving a blanket praise for the sake of saying something positive. They want to know specifically what it is they did, and they can see right through teachers are smarter than you think. So you really have to be careful starting, I would say, in third grade when kids begin forming that sort of age of reason where they really know what's going on. So just, you know, because a lot of times kids don't do well. I mean, not every kid is great in math. So to actually say, oh, well, that was great. Right. It's they can see through that. But that's why you have to educate the whole child. And it's not everyone is great at math. Right. But they may be really good at making friends. Okay. so you but you kind of get the feeling I'm neither a teacher nor a parent. But you kind of get the feeling that kids are praised for everything now, that everybody gets a ribbon, everybody passes, everybody's doing a great job, and that there's no... You're talking about specific kinds of praise, Sheila, but is there room in that discussion for telling a kid that they're not good at something? How does that conversation happen? Well, I don't really want to be the bearer of that kind of news. (laughs) I want kids to feel good about themselves. I I don't know. I think what happens by fourth or fifth grade, Liz, I've seen is they figured out what they're not oh they know good at and i think that's what you mean like they can see through the praise all they can really look around and go you know what i am not the best speller in this class no matter how many ribbons they give me for spelling i'm really not the best speller and so that they definitely tend to internalize that where i see it that again drives me nuts is a little is as the kids get older is on the athletic field because, you know, when they're little and the coaches, five, six, they're just learning how to play soccer. Right. Fantastic. Mm-hmm. Super. Great. They're running Everything around. you do is super. It yeah. is. You're running the wrong direction <laughs> towards the goal. Who cares? You know, just turn it around and go that way. But in something like sports that actually has rules and strategies, what drives me nuts is by the time they're seven or eight, they benefit from learning the rules, which a lot of times include teamwork and passing the ball and giving up the ball. So it makes me nuts when I see coaches not actually try to impose rules on the kid. Like, oh, everything's super. No, not everything is super, you know. <laughs> that kid is a ball hog, and he never passes the ball. It's not super. And then his parents. Do you yell that from the sidelines, Liam? I have to all of it. I, I, it makes me feel bad because people, the parents will be going nuts for the kids that scored like eight goals in a game. But you know what? It's because he never passes the ball, you know. So you'd, I don't, be, you'd be a good teacher. I don't clap for him. <laughs> <laughs> I'd like to see you in the classroom, Lynn. <laughs> Our number is 866-33-SISTER, 866-337-4783 if you want to weigh in on this. Praise and kids, and is there such a thing as too much praise okay. or too little negative reinforcement? You think that's a well-written sentence? Go back to your desk. <laughs> Write it over again. But remember, we had this conversation a couple of weeks ago with Sue Schellenbarger from the Wall Street Journal about helicopter parents who are showing up at their 20-something 
jobs now right. are emailing their bosses to try to get you know information on how their child is doing in the workplace and the kids <laughs> are like crying every time they have a performance review in at work because nobody has ever told them before that they're bad at something. Right. Right. You know, you all know what it's like in your first job. You're bad at most of it. Right. You, you have, can't do you have it. no idea how to operate in, in the workplace. Yeah, it was tough delivering those balloons on the subway. <laughs> no, no. The, I was not good at that right away, but I learned. I learned the hard way. You became one of the best, <laughs> Sheila. <laughs> the best balloon delivery girls in Manhattan. Oh, all right. Yes. 866-33-SISTER is our number. 866-337-4783. Maybe you're a classroom teacher and you see kids with just a... Out-of-control sense of self-esteem. How does that affect how you teach them in yeah. the classroom or your The coach? Eric Molly syndrome is yeah. what we, we call it around here. I yeah. know, but then he starts... He just used to sit around in the corner and do nothing. Yeah. He really used to drive me crazy, <laughs> now that I think about it. <laughs> how old do you think Eric is now? How he's many in years college. He's, he's graduated from college by now. Oh, no, no. Eric is out in the work world. He's uh, you know crying what? at his he's performance reviews. He is totally. Oh, he's suffering. Oh. <laughs> All right. We're the Satellite Sisters. We're going to take a break. When we return, we'll be taking your calls. What's your experience been with praising your kid? How do you balance good praise, bad praise? What effects have you seen on the sports field, in the classroom, at home? Stay with us. We're your Satellite Sisters. all the time when I was a teacher. <laughs> You're beautiful. You're beautiful. Yeah. You look so nice. You look so nice today. I mean, what's wrong with that? We are the satellites. You're setting them up for a lifetime of failure. Oh my gosh. <laughs> That's what's wrong with Don't it, Sheila. Don't tell me. We are the satellite sisters. I'm Sheila Dolan here with my sisters Liz and Leanne, and we're talking about praising kids. Is it all right to give them lots and lots of praise for lots of different things? Or are you setting them up to be underachievers ultimately, right, Leanne? Well, according to a new study in Child Development Journal, it can really backfire on you. Praising a kid for general terms like you're just really smart. You're so smart you did well in that test because you're smart actually sets them up for failure because then they don't try. Whereas praising kids for effort, hey, you worked really hard, you studied really hard, you really nailed this particular section. That can <laughs> You showed a- up with the pencil, yeah. good for you. <laughs> Here's a ribbon. That, that feels like setting the standard kind of low, though, the way you <laughs> describe it that way, Leanne. I mean, well, effort, no, uh, experts say if they don't do well, tell them you didn't do well. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's, you know, that's what experts say, that if they did, if they did not score well, you didn't score well. Next time, you have to try harder. The difference, Liz, was praising them for effort versus what they perceive to be innate ability. Oh, I see. Yeah. So you know, t- saying to some boy or girl constantly, "You're a natural athlete." Well, they might not work so hard at practice, and then eventually the kids who work hard are going to do better. Huh. And that's what they saw in the classroom. That's that what it, happened to me. I was a natural it? athlete, <laughs> and, that's, and I did you not. You just got too much praise? I did. I really did. Ah. <laughs> All right, let's talk to Tammy in Florida. Hi, Tammy. You're on with the Satellite Sisters. Hi there. How are you? Good. Um, well, 
you kind of just answered my question, really. But I've, my son's only in second grade, and he is bright, and he's been told that he's bright a lot, and basically just saying, you know, you're smart and you're bright, and um, and now this is his second year in the gifted program, and they actually, you know, call the class gifted, so he goes to gifted three times a week, and I just wonder, you know, about having a class where they actually, they call it that, and I try to tell him. You know, you're not special. You know, that you Way to go, Tammy. That's the kind of talk I like. I'm serious. But I don't I really don't want him to think just because his other friends are sitting in the classroom and he's going to somewhere called gifted that Right. Tammy, that's a really interesting question. That's an interesting question. Let me ask Tammy. you this. Has any teacher ever said what your son is bright in? Like in partic- you know, specifically, is he really well, is he good at math? Is he good at writing? What is his strength? He He's very uh, he's very well rounded. I mean, he really is. He he excels in spelling and reading. He loves to read, and um, he's very good in math. But he dislikes it very much. <laughs> he's yeah. just really smart. But, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> he is a he's a he is a bright boy. But I just wonder because, like you were saying, sometimes I wonder is that going to make him not try as hard when he gets older? You know, and he's young enough now where I can change the way I'm doing things so that when he gets older, because I try to tell him, you know, you think you know everything now, but wait till next year. That's not I like everything. that kind of talk. No, I, I mean, no, I can see your dilemma because yeah. experts say don't label. So actually calling the class gifted, it's not right. even, it's out of your control. So. Right. I mean, they could call it enrichment. I mean, I think to give him something that's challenging for him, to really give him a challenge is great for a child with a sort of broad-based knowledge and he's good at everything. And to find something he specifically really finds challenging and that he could work hard at would be good for him. But aren't they, again, not a parent, not a teacher, but aren't these gifted classes the ones everyone is scrambling to get their kids into? Yes. I mean, hasn't this hierarchy been created inside schools where everybody wants to qualify their kids for that? Yes, because a lot <laughs> Not of- having any gifted children. <laughs> <laughs> You notice I'm staying very silent because I don't really know how gifted programs work. No, a lot of, yeah. And a lot of parents feel that's the only way their kid is going to get what they need, considering the fact that they're so bright. Well, it sounds like Tammy is trying hard, though, to keep him grounded and keep him, yeah. praise him for effort and not intelligence. And she's working. I think against, she's doing a good job. Yeah, you're trying. You're there, Tammy. Just keep telling him how much he doesn't know. All right. Chris, Christina is on my team, aren't you, Christina? You have three boys and you get you go nuts with the sport. I do. I do. And I was listening to Tammy, and it sounds like I'm a lot like her. First of all, I want to tell you guys how much I love your show. Thank you, Christina. Awesome. Thank you. Um, I try to make sure I'm in the car every morning at this time so I can hear you guys. Oh, (laughs) fantastic. Thank you. (laughs) Anyway, um, I do have three boys. I have a 16-year-old, a 13-year-old, and an 8-year-old. And so we've been playing sports for a really long time. And I tell you, it just frustrates me when you're watching them play and especially if they, well, when they're little, you know, they have all the um, rules about making sure you play everyone and um, not running up the score. There's one that really gets to me. <laughs> oh, wow. I'm telling you, there's a mercy law. There's a mercy rule. And so if you get to a certain point, right. okay, then you're not allowed to score any more points. And so you do, and so you've got these kids playing basketball, and then you have to tell them, okay, you can't make any more baskets, you know, because as far as I'm concerned with all the politically correct parents today, you know, don't hurt my kids' feelings. You don't want them to feel badly that they're losing by, you know, 20 points. And my point is, 
Well, who really cares how much you're losing while you're losing? All right. All right, Christina. Crack that go. whip, Christina. You and Leon should start your own team. We'll start our own league. There's no mercy in our league. We don't care about kids' feelings league. Sports without mercy. Hey, it's a sport, Liz. All right? No, I understand, no, I, know. I, I I'm, I'm sorry. I'm, I, I can appreciate that. Sometimes for the opposite team, it's more frustrating when the one team's trying not to score baskets. Then they're just passing the ball, passing the ball. And that doesn't feel good either. Right. Some, there's winners and losers. They're humiliated. That there way. you have it. If we didn't get to your call, email us, SatelliteSisters.com. We love hearing from you. We are the Satellite Sisters. Oh, it's great to be back with my Beyonce sister, Leon, and uh, LA, fl- LA flight based LA based flight crew is here today. Sheila here with my sisters, Liz and hey, Leon. Welcome I'm, back from vacation. You're I'm a little rusty. Rude. It's a rough start there. I know. Well, it was the dancing that did me yeah, okay. in. Okay. Okay. You're a little winded after <laughs> we got I, up and did our Beyonce. I actually hits. am winded, which is kind of sad. That's because I didn't exercise at all in New York. I just ate my way through Manhattan. I'm going to tell you about that in a minute. Okay. But Leon, coming up on the show today, fame junkies. That's right. Jake Halperin is an author who's written a really fascinating book on fame. And basically, why we all want to be famous now. What's with that? Why does everyone want to be famous or be near fame? Why do we think celebrities are our friends? Yeah. They're not I want to know friends. the answer to that. Yeah. What is happening in America that now, like, the one common nugget of conversation that everybody in America has is Britney shaving her head? I know, but that's it's fun to talk about well, that. Well, that's what we're going to talk to him about. We're going to get into why we want to be famous, and then we got to go through the Britney, Anna Nicole Smith, you know, Of thing. course, of course. So that'll be fun. That'll yep. be fun. But I am back from New York. Yep. I was there for a week. Visiting my daughter, visiting my old friends. I lived there for 20 years. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I guess it's really true what they say about New York. You don't save a dime there because you eat out all the time. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, I know people cook at home and all of that. But when I'm on vacation and I, you know, and I want to live it up. My idea of living it up really is about eating out. Mm-hmm. You know, that, that is one of the true pleasures in life. And As I, opposed to when you're in your own home, you order in. <laughs> you don't do any cooking in your own home either. No, it's so. the same thing. That is a pleasure. Ordering, taking, in, taking out or ordering in is the uh-huh. same thing as eating out. Okay. Okay, really, when you, when you get right down to it. And um, so my daughter, Ruthie, is 24. And I have to say, I was so proud of her during the week because I've taught her well. I've really taught her well because the first night, first night we got there, she called me from the airport. She said, Mom, 
I made a reservation at Marumi. Oh, <laughs> that's, so, nice. that's our Japanese restaurant, and she was waiting there. Now she gets to restaurants early, which I appreciate. <laughs> she never used to show up on time, but yeah. now she's a real restaurant rat. Okay. okay, so she got there early. She ordered the chicken yakitori and the sashimi salad on the table when I arrived. Oh, my god, That's gosh. a good See, daughter. You wow. like that. That is a good daughter because... Because you don't like to wait 12 <laughs> seconds for food in a restaurant. No, I don't. And no, you know what? She she realizes that now. All right? Then we had the shirashi, which is a great Japanese dish. Uh, people in the know order that. You know, that's not like, a, you know, the the, the, the rolls. It's, it's real sashimi with rice and a lot of Japanese pickles and things like that. So that was good. Miso soup comes after the meal, people. All mm-hmm. right? Ruth knew that. Okay. So happy to see that. I never knew that. And then a red bean ice cream. Just mm. a little touch of American at the end. So that was good. Um, so the next night, what to eat? What to eat? Yeah. Ruth wanted lobster. Okay. Wow. So I set She's out. really dining out on mom while you're there. <laughs> well, you know, what are you going to do when you're 20 and your mom is in town? Right. You're gonna, you're and you gonna, want lobster. And you want lobster. Okay. And I am very... And com- you're, un- you're unemployed. <laughs> <laughs> and I am very accommodating. I looked for a, a restaurant that served lobster in our neighborhood because of the snowstorm. I didn't want to walk. Right around the corner, Aqua Grill. What could be better than that in Soho? So I, again, got to the... Re- Ruth was there when I got there. Unbelievable. She had the menus all around. She had already perused the appetizers. Some Blue Point oysters on the table. Crab claws. Yeah, bring it on. Warm mussel salad. Then she went for something a little daring, the lobster bisque. As she said, I'm going to pay for this at the end of the meal. I know that. Yeah. Because it's so rich. And then we did. She is your daughter. Because you, you've actually had to leave restaurants after eating and ordering oh. bisque. Oh, no, no, no. no <laughs> it was the no, pea soup. No, I know. No. Don't relive the pea soup no. incident again. Her eyes started shutting after the bisque. No, no, no. No, the shades were going down. Yeah. There was something going on over there. She had to stop. She's like, you know what? I've had enough. And then, because she wanted lobster and because I wanted steak, surf and turf all around, everybody. Wow. So that was a good meal. Whew. That set me back a pretty penny. All right. Then lunch. A famous little establishment, Elephant and Castle, mm-hmm. right? Yes. Where most people eat a light lunch. In Not us. <laughs> Not us. Actually, they had homemade split Pea soup. Oh, please okay. tell me you did not order no, no, that no. again. No, she wanted that. She yeah. was on a soup kick. She couldn't. You know what it is? The two of us, we can't help ourselves. Even when we know something is bad for us, we continue to order. Then we had a nice shrimp and avocado salad, which was very lovely, Leanne. <laughs> mm. The burger with horseradish sauce. Oh, I love I love that. Sauce. And we couldn't resist a homemade pumpkin pie at the end. <laughs> All right, so that was lunch. That's a nice meal. Um, I ate my breakfasts out, of course. Famous, li- nice little place in the village called Twelve Chairs. Um, this was uh, a lovely uh, Israeli place where I had something special called shashushka, <laughs> <laughs> which was poached eggs and tomato sauce, Leanne, with a really, really good homemade chopped Israeli salad oh, on the side. that sounds delicious. Dynamite. You would have yeah, loved it. Yeah, that sounds good. All right. Then we went out for Italian. We went out. I, I hit the Vion Coffee Shop, the oldest Greek diner in New York. I, I did I did some village natural one day I did a cleansing yeah. tried to do some you know steamed vegetables and rice that didn't take and then when I couldn't eat anymore Liz showed up in New York uh, yeah and she decided oh she's gonna take me out to a, a lunch 
at a hotel, well, which has what was it tapas? No, it was it was a business lunch. It's not like I'm taking you out. It was a business lunch. We were eating with someone else, but we were. You know, Gordon. You know who Gordon Ramsay is? He's the chef. He's British, but he's on that show Hell's Kitchen. Yes. On, is that on the Food Network? Yes. Where he just yells at everyone in the kitchen. Mm-hmm. Well, he has a new restaurant and cafe in Manhattan. And so we decided to rendezvous at the cafe, thinking the restaurant way too much. Oh, right. That's right. We were at the cafe. But the That was pretty, pretty deep as it was for a cafe. What do you mean? I mean, the food was very esoteric. It was, it was very esoteric. <laughs> yes. Well, the good thing about it is that it was for the state you were in, Sheila, there was hardly any food. No, there was no food. I could not eat another thing. Like the, uh, <laughs> I ordered the soup as the first course, but it was really foam in a bowl. Right. You know, oh. it was, yes. They called it volute. Oh, which is, yeah, like steam. Foam. That's, yeah, yeah okay. steam. That's well, Italian for steam. Uh, so I had foam in a bowl. Yeah. And then... That's, ooh, that's been like... I needed, I needed <laughs> some scrambled eat. eggs, but the scrambled eggs came in a dish the size of, uh, you know... The, 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 the back I, of my hand. Yeah. Yeah. Little, little <laughs> scrambled eggs. I was like, what's this? Yeah. And then the teeny tiniest little, ma- I can't even remember what the, my main course actually was because it was so tiny. <laughs> I needed like a, a magnifying glass. And the guy that we were eating with, just to give you the idea, like afterwards, we were talking about some work stuff. And at the very end of the day, I got an email from him thanking us for spending the time with him and saying, next time, P.S., next time could we go to a steakhouse? Right. So right. somehow we managed to, like, have a whole lunch and walk out of there. I'm sure he got a hot Starving. dog. I'm yeah. sure he got a sabrettes on his way back to the <laughs> oh office. Oh, my gosh. Uh, uh, that was street, a scene. street falafel or something. I managed to fill up on bread, though. That was good. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you did. Sheila did say... This is the best bread I've ever had was in my it entire life. It was, it was crust, Leanne. It wasn't bread. It was all crust. Mm. You know how I love crust. Yes. It was baked crust. Okay. Oh, Leanne. Bread-free bread? Yes, it was delicious. Right. But now you're home, Sheila. You're back in your normal routine. Yeah, so yeah I'm doing the salads. Back. No one eats bread in Southern California. That's true. We do have, yeah, we don't have good bread because no one eats it. <laughs> it's, it's a carb-free state. Absolutely. Uh. All right. Hey, speaking of that, coming up next, it's a new... New uh, segment here on Satellite Sisters. Look what I found. I'm excited. Look what I found. 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 (laughs) We're going to do products, introductions, products, services, all kinds of stuff that the Satellite Sisters found and like. Stay with us. Right, I'm Sheila Dolan here with my sisters Liz and Liam today. And hey, everybody, it's time for a new segment on the show. It's called "Look What I Found!" <laughs> Exclamation mark! I Look mean, what you, I found! You don't have to say it like that, but the idea is we are going to share with you right now new items that we found that we're excited about. Right, Liam? It could be anything. Could be a product. Could be a service. Could be I don't know what a website. But it's just stuff that we mm. discovered. We found ourselves talking about it. 
during the breaks, and then we decided, let's just put it on the air. We want to share with our satellite sisters. Because we know you're out there buying stuff, and, and we have stuff you can buy. <laughs> All right. I'm excited to be the first one. Mine, of course, is food-related, because I spend most of my free time <laughs> at the grocery store. You do actually cook, Leanne, and you enjoy it. And, right. I have a family of four. I spend a lot of time cooking. I enjoy it. I read a lot of cookbooks. I enjoy browsing the Sunday circulars, Liz, because you can see the new product introductions there. They're reflected in the coupons. And so Uh I like to be on the lookout for certain things that I think are going (laughs) to add just a little bit of something special to my home cook meal. Just something new. That's what I'm looking for. So you want a touch of crunch, Leanne. I do want a touch of crunch, Sheila, because, you know, that's the thing. When you're looking to eat healthy and stuff, you have to give up all the crunchy, chewy stuff. You know, the fried stuff. The chips and stuff like that. The stuff that is satisfying to your mouth, but Mm -hmm. not satisfying to your waistline. Yeah. So I discovered over there in the produce department near the croutons, (laughs) near the sliced almonds that are flavored, and that's an excellent product, I discovered crispy onions, lightly salted, by a company called Fresh Gourmet. Oh, yes, I know it well. So you know Fresh Gourmet. They have many tasty varieties of crunchy (laughs) toppings. That's what it says. Yes, many tasty varieties Mm. of crunchy toppings. Uh Liz, I don't know. They, They have the almonds that are flavored. They also have tortilla chip. Strips that they cut up, yeah. But these crispy fried onions, oh, please man. taste them now. Okay, now how are you serving now. them, Leanne? T- explain. You know what? Right now, I'm serving them with the Trader Joe's roasted organic tomato and red pepper. What soup. a good choice! So that's a light snack, a hundred calorie snack, mm. and then you add just a touch of crunch, yeah? a touch of crunch, that, mm. a touch of fat, and a touch of salt. But it's just, <laughs> it's it's less. It's forty calories for a tablespoon and a half, which is really you don't need any more than that can you hear me crunching i'm crunching but and then i you can throw it on top of your salads if you like to prepare say for instance mashed potatoes or any kind of sometimes uh in the evening i like to roast up some tomatoes and leeks and then i add a tasty crunch with the fresh gourmet crispy, crispy onions. onions. Do you all ever right. just eat a fistful? Because they're yes. good all by I themselves. I do that too. Yeah, yes. yeah yes, that's I the do. thing. When you buy a product like that, you could be tempted just to put it on brownies and <laughs> you know, right. just say, this is good. Yes. Because they're so good. It is. It's it's delicious. I highly recommend that freshgourmet.com is where you can go for many tasty varieties of crunchy toppings. But you'll enjoy the onions. Wow, look what you found. Okay, <laughs> next is Sheila. Look what I found, everybody. What did you find? What did you find? Okay, what I found before I left for New York. You know, I, I've needed, I've been in need of a serious upgrade on my work bag. And, oh, you yes. know, and okay. well, Liz, I was really, what, what I was doing, coming to work with a really unsightly recycling. Uh, it was the recyclable bag from Safeway. All right. So it was. <laughs> and, 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 and funny, it was from Safeway. All, you know, every time I looked in it, there was food crumbled in the bottom. Funny. I don't even know how the food got there. But I used to, used to junk it. I mean, I just, it was a junk heap after a while. Yeah. And that's what happens when you don't have a good bag. So when I left for New York, I needed something to put my computer in, and I didn't have anything. Oh, right. I didn't want to bring my big black computer bag because I was just, it's heavy. It is heavy. And yeah. it's unsightly. Yes. All right. Stopped into Banana Republic. Just wanted to pick up a little something for the trip. Right. Do you know what I mean? Sure. I ended up buying a sweater, and then I saw this. Look what I found. (laughs) Hey. Banana Republic's new spring line. This is a very, very elegant bag. I know for me, it may be too elegant for me. It is. But you know what? It's a computer bag. It's the new Banana Republic computer bag. There's a section in the middle. 
Yeah. She's showing us now. See, oh, it's, yeah. it's shaped more like an old-fashioned handbag and almost like a bowling bag. Uh, like a bowling bag. bag. All right. So it has the se- uh-huh. center sections, which is reinforced for your computer. It has two incredibly generous side pockets. Mm-hmm. Then what I have, it has the metal studs on the bottom so it never touches the ground. Right. Which I like. Really, really sturdy leather handles. Now... I know it's... But the bag itself is a cotton linen, so it's not too heavy. Leanne, you got that straight, sister. Okay. All, All right. right. Now, I bought this. The, min- the minute I bought it, the woman's like, hey, you better scotch guard it. Well, I might scotch guard it, but I don't know. I just wanted to run it by you. <laughs> Very you, nice. Do you think it, just trying to be helpful. <laughs> do you think it's too fancy for work? No, I think no. it's perfect. All right. Okay. I, I do think the scotch guarding is a good suggestion, though, because this is sort of a pale linen it's color linen. you have. You're going to trash that really quickly. All right. So there you go. Look what I found. That's Banana Republic nice computer bag. bag. Okay. Excellent. Okay. Look what I found. This is Liz. I found an outlandishly overpriced service that I will never be able to afford, but I aspire to. Okay. Because... Because if you travel a lot for pleasure or for business, we all work a lot all over the country. This is a new service. My sisters have mocked me in the past because occasionally I have been known to FedEx my luggage to myself. Have I not? Yes, Yes. you have. Or I'll be somewhere and then I have to go. I'll be in like City A and then I'll have to go to City B. But I don't need the City A clothes in City B. So I put the City A clothes in a box, FedEx it home to myself, and and move on to City B, Mm -hmm. just with a lighter load. This is a new service. Do you you get the email newsletter, Daily Candy? Yes, I do. Okay, if you don't get this, look what I found. This is fantastic. There are different newsletters for all over the country, and it's like new services or beauty products or fashions or things. Anyway, this is called Fly Light. It's a new company that packs, delivers, picks up, and even dry cleans all your clothes and delivers it to wherever you are going. Oh, man, that is a Liz service. You sign up online. They send you the suitcase to fill up. You send them a suitcase full of stuff, and then they just always have it. And you say, send my suitcase to Chicago. And you go to Chicago, and there it is. Whoa. (laughs) Send my suitcase to New York. Doesn't that sound great? It sounds great, but I'm not sure it's as good as the lightly salted crispy onion Or my new computer bag, which carries all I need. Oh, wow, look what we found here at Satellite Sisters. Coming up next, we're talking about fame. Are you obsessed by the famous? Are you obsessed by becoming famous? Well, you are not alone. We're going to talk about it. Stay with us. Oh, oh, oh. Dolan here with my sisters Liz and Leanne, and we are five real sisters with five completely different subscriptions to Us Magazine. <laughs> and we all have our own personal entourage. That's right. We don't share an entourage no. anymore. Yeah, like their special section, who wore it best. We have like who read it best. And we come to work on Monday, we, we deconstruct Us Magazine, 
And we have some very, very meaningful discussions, don't we, Leanne? Yeah, sisters, they're just like <laughs> us. <laughs> anyway, we are talking about this because we're talking to the author of Fame Junkies, a new book out. It's called The Hidden Truth Behind America's Favorite Addiction. Jake Halperin is joining us. Hey, Jake, welcome to Satellite Sisters. Hey, thanks for having me on. All right, so, Jake, is it true? Are we really obsessed with fame as a country, or are we, are we overstating it? No, I think that it's every bit as uh, the obsession goes every bit as deep as we as we fear it does. Yeah, you know because I mean, were you, are you a fame junkie? Yeah, no, I you know in the book one of the first things I say is I'm as susceptible to falling into this as anyone else. In fact, I think the book was kind of born out of this moment where I was walking through the airport and I was watching this segment on uh, Julia Roberts's twin or you know kids mm-hmm. and. I'm watching, and I'm late for my flight, and somewhere in the back of my head, I'm why do I care? Why am I listening to this? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because I'm about to miss my flight, and yet I need to know what kind of pram she's going to buy the twins. That's it. And, yeah. And, and I think that moment that I was like, that I decided I want to actually explore what's going on here, and, and, and as much as anyone used myself as a, as, a, as a subject. Is there a definition for fame junkie? I mean, Jake, do you have to spend a certain number of hours watching entertainment tonight, or <laughs> you know, do you have to not not put your children down because you're really concerned about the news tease that they have about the latest Robert Downey Jr. Junior? <laughs> yeah, know, I think it's. Arrest? I think it's it, for me. It was if I miss the plane, then I'm officially a junkie. Right. And I think I would have. I think that particular plane uh, was was delayed, but I was definitely on course to uh, to miss it. But that's. I mean, that's. Basically, some seriousness goes to the heart of the whole addiction idea is that something becomes an addiction when it actually has some harm, when it kind of gets in the way of our life in one way or another. And I think for a lot of people it does. How? How? Well, well, I, I have no life. I mean, yeah. I'm like on the on my couch for four hours a night watching entertainment shows. But I'm the entertainment reporter, Jake. So yeah. is that a crime? No, no, that's a, just a professional hazard. Oh, thank you, thank no, you. No, you have just managed to alter your life, Sheila, to accommodate your addiction, don't you think? I mean, we didn't ask you to be the entertainment reporter. You, you're a self-appointed you, entertainment reporter. You asked me what I was interested in, and I told you celebrities. <laughs> but is you know, Sheila's doing it for work. But there are people out there really spending. Spending hours and hours and hours. I mean, do they do they have interpersonal relationships, Jake, or is it because they think Jennifer Aniston is their friend and they need to know what Jen's up to? Yeah, I mean, I think that one of the things I look at in my book is the extent to which all of us as Americans are, or great many of us, lonelier than we ever have been in the past. We live alone. We get married later in life. At work, we live the kind of Dilbert cubicle life, and. Um, magazines like Us Weekly have done a great job at marketing Tom and Katie and Paris and Angelina as these kind of first-name buddies that we feel as if we know. Mm. So when Brad and Jen broke up, Us Weekly's sales shot to the roof. And as one editor at the magazine told me, it's because everyone feels as if they want to be there for their friend Jen. So there's actually some truth to this, I think, uh, to this idea. We did, okay, we did feel there. that way. Yes, we did. <laughs> <laughs> We're talking to Jake Alpern, his book, Fame Junkies, The Hidden Truth Behind America's Favorite Addiction, has just come out. And it's a fascinating look because you really, you talk to, like, everybody associated with fame in any way, from, like, kids in modeling schools in Buffalo to personal assistants in Hollywood to agents. You talk to social scientists and everything. And then you did your own kind of experiment, Jake. And what did you find out? So I had all this great kind of story, you know, all these anecdotes, but I wanted to see um, kind of I wanted some hard numbers. So right. I put, got together with some 
uh, statisticians, and we did a survey of 700 American teenagers. Mm. And we asked them a bunch of questions about fame and celebrity. One of them was, if you could press a magic button that would make you stronger, smarter, more beautiful, or famous, which would you pick? And we found that teenage boys picked uh, fame almost as often as intelligence and teenage girls pick fame more often than intelligence. Wow. That's scary. That is really scary. It is, and I think that you know, there's a tendency to kind of say, well, yeah, we're a little bit celebrity crazy in this country, but what's the harm? And I think that sometimes there is harm, particularly when you have girls saying, yeah, I want to be famous more than, than intelligent. Does an obsession with fame then become wanting to be famous? Because those, to me, are two totally separate things. Like, I enjoy Us Weekly as much as the next person, but I look at fame like somebody like, you know, Victoria Beckham, who was just mobbed at Disneyland yesterday, and the next thing you know, someone's got her, you know, going off on a Disneyland employee up on TMZ. I'm like, who would want that life? But right. does one beget the other? Does the obsession become the desire to be famous in any way, shape, or form? Well, you know, I look at, in terms of wanting fame, I look at mainly kids and teenagers in the first part of the book. Yeah. And one of the things I did in the survey was I, um, I asked kids how many uh, kind of celebrity TV shows they watch, like Entertainment Tonight and Access Hollywood. And I also asked them how often they read celebrity mags like Teen People. And there was a direct correlation. The more the kids watched these programs or read these publications, the greater the chances they thought that they could become famous. Oh, okay. Um, so there seemed to be, and it's un- it could be worked the other way around. The kids could think they're going to become famous and then watch more of these programs. But whichever way it works, there definitely seemed to be a connection between the amount of this celebrity news that they were ingesting and the chances they thought that they were going to be part of it. Jake, this is Liz. Do you think part of that is because when you watch all this celebrity stuff now or read the magazines, you see a lot of people that are famous without having really done anything noteworthy. You know, they're just famous for being famous. So it doesn't even look that hard to be famous anymore. You know, in in the old days, maybe you had to actually be able to act or sing or or dance dance or something. And now you just you can be a train wreck and become famous for that. No, I think that's a great point. I mean, I think there's two things that have made fame seem more accessible to young people. One is that there's just so many more venues. There used to be five TV stations. There are now 500 in the Internet and stuff. And the second is, as you point out, with reality TV, you can become famous yeah. for brushing your teeth. Mm-hmm. So the yeah. bar is, is so low that I think your average person sitting at home thinks, yeah, uh, that doesn't seem so delusional. I could I could get up there and, and do that and, and become famous. But it is kind of delusional when you see the people thrown off American Idol in the early rounds, and you see how some of them actually get mad. I know, Liz. They, they actually think that even though they can't sing, that somehow the show should advance them through the ranks because they have something else special to offer. Or wouldn't it be unique if you had someone who can't sing and you could teach them to sing? <laughs> that seems, that is delusional to me. It is. It's crazy. You know, we've all watched it and seen these kids who are just, they, they don't have a lot of talent, and yet they're so genuinely uh, flabbergasted that yeah. they can make it to the next round. You know, and that exact phenomenon kind of caught my imagination and made me look into a little bit of the social science research that you mentioned. And it's very interesting because kids just have a greater sense of self-importance now than they did 50 years ago. And they've done this personality test where they've asked kids, Yes or no, I am a very important person. And in the 50s, only 12% of teenagers said yes to that question. Today, 
80% of kids say yes to that question. Oh, parents, right. we're doing a horrible job. <laughs> this yeah. is the narcissism personality index? <laughs> yes, this is exactly, I mean, there's... Yeah, I love that. Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, I've always thought I was a very important person, and I'm still not, but I still had it, right, Leanne? <laughs> yes, you did. You've always been a narcissist. <laughs> what, what explains that? Well, I just want to, like, for your listeners to kind of explain a little bit, because it's so interesting, this narcissism personality index, it's a, it's a test, and they ask you these questions like, someday someone really ought to write a biography of my life, and I tend to start new fads and fashions wherever I go. And, and you, you rank each of these on a scale, and then at the end it gives you a score that tells you basically how self-centered you are. And they've done this test on age groups around the world, and no group scores higher than the American teenager. Wow. Um, That's um, pretty sad. But aren't we all allowed to have dreams, Jake? <laughs> we. <laughs> Can't we dream? We yeah, why are. are you trying to crush us, Jake? You're dreaming for Hudson. I know. I'm, I'm really a downer. No, I think about it because my wife and I just had a baby. We have a three-month-old. Mm-hmm. And we Congratulations. Are, thank you. Yeah, we're thinking about, like, you know, we, we want to be supportive parents. We want the kid, our, our son to feel like he can do what he sets his mind to. But we also don't want to elevate him to the status of a celebrity within the family where, you know, the weekends we're just driving him from one event to another and vacations are Disney World. And when he says ice cream, I slam on the brakes. Yeah, no, that's that's a good idea. Yeah, because we grew up in a big family and there was none of that. No, no, right. You get busted down so often when you have seven brothers and sisters. Really, you are born knowing that you are not the center of the universe. And we, I think we took that on board very early. Well, the fact that you guys can all share a show together is, is simply amazing. I mean, I think, that, you know, you, you have to have relatively modest scores on the NPI to do something mm. like that. Oh, hey. Yes, yes our key is low self-esteem. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's key to our success. We're talking to Jake Halper, and his book is called Fame Junkies, The Hidden Truth Behind America's Favorite Addiction. Jake, I, I loved the chapter in your book about the personal assistants in Hollywood. First of all, I didn't know they had their own professional organization, which kind of shocked me. And I didn't realize that Tiffany Amber Thiessen was still a celebrity, but yeah. didn't you You spent a lot of time with her personal assistant. She's still enough of a celebrity to have an assistant? Well, t- Jake, tell She's us how they She's back on TV judge. now, right? Isn't she? Tiffany? She- I, she may be. Is that right? Yes, I, I, I heard she's had some walk-on, and um, let me think. I'll think of the show. Go on, Jake, though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you think. Um, I, yeah, I was amazed, but the, the guy that is her assistant is a really interesting guy because he was, prior to being her assistant, had his MBA and was the vice president in a healthcare company in South Carolina. He was making a six-figure salary. He had a 401K. The guy, you know, was doing very well for himself. And he watched this talk show about celebrity personal assistants, thought, that's what I want to do, moved out to L.A. There's an organization, as you point out, called the, Ameri- the Association of Celebrity Personal Assistants. <laughs> they have their own monthly support groups, which I attended. Oh and they God. run their own school. And this guy went to the school and then uh, eventually ended up getting hooked up with Tiffany Amber Thiessen. But what was amazing is I went to some of these classes, and <laughs> there were a lot of people that were kind of like this guy that, that had kind of, Plenty of options, and we're opting to be, you know, the bag schlepper for for the star. Why do Why? they want that? <laughs> Why? Why? That just no. seems a bad way to make a living. You know, I think it was the sense that we are, we're not just obsessed with celebrities. We're obsessed with celebrity lifestyle, with the red carpet and the limos and right. the VIP lounge. And I think that from talking to this guy, Dean, who was actually a very articulate guy, he saw this as his best shot to step into the celebrity lifestyle. He knew he wasn't going to be an actor. He knew he wasn't going to be a singer. He knew that as great a 
executive as he was in the healthcare industry. He was never going to have this. And therefore, this was going to be his way to ride in the limo and go to the, the openings and walk the red carpet. But the cost, of course, is that you know, he's also taking out the green M&Ms out of the Snapple jar. Yeah, <laughs> right. And they probably have to sign, like, you know, 500-page waivers that they're never going to tell celebrity secrets, right? And that's the whole point about being around a celebrity <laughs> is that you can just be around dish them, on them and dish on them. Yeah, See, what's the good if you can't write a tell-all, you know, memoir? Yes. Right? You know, but I am interested because you see a guy like this guy, and he's been to the school, and he's a good guy, and he's talking to you. But then you look at something like Britney Spears, like that whole mess that is unraveling. And doesn't she have anybody in her entourage? Are they so addicted to her celebrity lifestyle that no one will just pull her out of that and say, stop, enough? You know, so, Jake, when we get back, we're going to talk about that. We're the Satellite Sisters. 866-33-SISTER is our number. It's exhausting. I know. <laughs> According to this book, Fame Junkies, my God. Oh, we are the Satellite Sisters, just five real sisters. Sheila Dolan here with my sisters, Liz and Leon today. Jake Halpern is our guest. He's the author of Fame Junkies. He's a writer, also a producer and commentator for All Things Considered, and a self-proclaimed fame junkie himself. All right, so Jake, we were talking about Britney Spears, because how can we not? You know, right. is it the train wreck aspect of her life that we're fascinated with, or what? No, I, I think so. I think that particularly the latest episode with the hair, it's just kind of you're watching and it's like it's it's like an accident on the side of the road. You don't want to look, but you simply you can't help it because it's just so bizarre. And also, I think there's a sense we feel like we know this person because we've been reading about them and kind of following their lives, even if it's just, you know, from the from the sidelines for, for years. So it you know, it seems out of character. Why is she cutting her hair? You wanna know, you know? Um so yeah, I think the train wreck for sure. What is happening, though, in her inner circle? I mean, you've talked to these Hollywood assistants before. Right. You've sat at their meetings and their support groups. Right. I mean, don't they ever speak up and say, you know, hey, stop this? Or, you know what, maybe you shouldn't take so many drugs. Or, you know what, why don't you stay in tonight? Yeah. I mean, Not if they want to stay employed. <laughs> is that what happens? I mean, like, I remember I mentioned that school to you that the Association of Celebrity Personal Assistants runs. Yes. Like, one of, like, the first lessons at the school was, take the word no out of your vocabulary, which is funny because, you know, you kind of assume that that would be the, the rule, but to actually see this in the lesson plan was just kind of wow. hilarious. Um, the other thing that jumps to mind, too, is I interviewed um, this guy whose name is John Bronca. He's an entertainment lawyer. He has represented 20 different bands that have been in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. He's probably one of the best-known entertainment lawyers of all time. He represented Michael Jackson, Prince, uh, the, the list goes on and on. He said to me, that if he has something negative to voice to a client, he will do it in the following manner. He will say, well, there was someone I was talking to at the record company, and they kind of thought that this might be the case. And then he'll you know, work in his little you know, criticism or negative thought. And if the person says, that's interesting, what do you make of that? He'll give his opinion. But more often than not, when they bristle at it and say, that's crazy, I they can't blow it you brought it up, 
he'll blow it off. And I thought to myself, when he said this, if the most powerful entertainment lawyer in the business is tiptoeing around even the smallest bits of negative criticism like this, what does this say for every other you know, smaller member of the entourage? And so, yeah, you, you very much doubt that someone like Brittany has got someone in her inner, inner circle saying, this is crazy, what are you doing? That's right. and even your parents are on your payroll, so they're not going to do it either. Right. How about the Anna Nicole Smith thing? We just have a couple of minutes, but will it ever go away? I mean, now it's just it's reached such a state that like almost every news channel, even legitimate news outlets, are, well, are yeah. covering it, couching it in like extraordinary legal questions. I mean, there are extraordinary mm-hmm. legal questions that are just gross to ponder. You know, baby body, whatever. You know, millions. Uh, is there anything that's like so distasteful that we won't look at as the American people? I've yet to see it. Okay. <laughs> oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. So there's I, almost nothing that she could have done in her past that will say, okay, enough's enough. I don't, I don't think so. And I think you make a really interesting point, too, about um, even like the mainstream news media that usually sticks to hard news has jumped on this. And I think that that is a phenomenon of the last five years or so. One example I use in the book is Martha Stewart. The year of that scandal, the three major nightly news networks, which at the time were Tom Brokaw, Peter Jennings, and Dan Rather, devoted 130 minutes to Martha Stewart and just 25 minutes to genocide in Darfur. Yeah. So I think that you know people blame Us Weekly and Entertainment Tonight, but it's really the CNNs and the and the and the nightly newscasts that are jumping on this as much as anyone. Leave Us Weekly alone. <laughs> that's our that's our motto, Sheila. What do you say about Us Magazine? Uh, uh, if it's, it's important, important to us, it's, it's important, important to me. Us. <laughs> Jake Halpern, thanks so much. The book is fantastic. Great look at fame, fame junkies. You can get more information at SatelliteSisters.com. We are the Satellite Sisters. That's right. I'm Sheila Dolan here with my sisters, Liz and Liam. And Liam, we were just looking at that pretty brook, entertainment reporter from CNN. And it's like, I want to be that. I want to be as famous as Brooke, whatever her name is. You do? Well, she's just on a lot. She's really, really pretty. Is that what you would really want? Is there anything wrong with that? Am I a fame junkie? A little bit. There's nothing wrong with it. Just what, you know what it is? It's envy is what it is. And that'll eat you alive. Yes. (laughs) Thank you, Dr. Sheila. I don't think it's the same thing as being a fame junkie. But that was really interesting talking to Jake Halpern because, I mean, the fact that teenager, teenagers would much, especially teenage girls, instantly want to be famous well, and over, would, over yeah. being intelligent or strong or what was the other one? Uh, Pretty. Beautiful. Yeah. Right. They would rather be famous. Like for me, I'd rather be rich than famous. Right. Because I, if I had to like pick one or the other, I'd go for rich. Right, because you know? then you can remain kind of anonymous. Right. You keep your privacy. I do. There's not one bone in my body that is jealous of Jennifer Aniston. I would no more want her life. It would just be awful to be Even chased for around. A day? <laughs> <laughs> Come on, not, not six weeks with Brad Pitt. Not since crazy? Brad left her anyway. <laughs> would have been one thing when Brad was in the package, but when you see them chased around the way they're chased around, it's just it's painful to witness. It would. I don't think you realize, Sheila. How how terrifying, or just how awful that would be all the time. I don't. I've never had a taste of that, and I probably never will. And no, I mean, I remember hearing Reese Witherspoon, I mean, when all of, not the controversy of her divorce, but before that, when photographers were really chasing down her kids going to school, I can see how that would be really scary. Yeah, it'd be, it, it would be. You think, just lay off my kids. I know I'm in the public exactly. eye, but lay off my kids. And when I'm with my kids, that's our time 
to be normal. Right. And, you know, you're joking about the entertainment reporters, but look at her. She's covering the Anna Nicole Smith baby battle. (laughs) You know, is that really, do you think that would make you happy, It's a developing story. Brooke is on it. (laughs) No, I don't know. Would it make you happy? I don't think so. All right, Liz. Look at Pat O'Brien. Didn't make him happy. Yeah. And so we were talking about fame junkies and Jake Halpern. He did his own study with all these fifth through eighth graders in Rochester, New York. And as we said, girls chose more often than not to be famous more than smarter, stronger. But how about this? 43.4% of teenage girls wanted to become celebrity personal assistants when they grew up, as opposed to the other options were president of a great university, U.S. senator, or chief of a major U.S. company like General Motors. Oh, Leanne. A celebrity assistant. assistant. I know. Well, that is, as we heard, that is not a good job. No, you it's not a good job. But uh, it looks seven. good when you see Entourage, but that's because you're the, in the Entourage of Adrian Grenier. Yes. They're not all that cute. No, and that's and you get to drive the car. But, I mean, but that's like your entire life over a U.S. senator or CEO of a major corporation or head of a great university. Yeah, how about standing on your own two feet? He writes about this whole Berg syndrome, basking in reflect, reflected glory. And it just it surprises me that so many people find reflected glory glory enough for them. You know, as long as they're standing close enough. Right, they didn't earn it. They're just standing there and soaking it up. You know, but I also wondered whether it really is any worse now, whether we're we're more celebrity obsessed than we used to be. Uh, And one of the stats in Jake's book that got my attention was that according to the Gallup poll, in 1963, the people Americans most admired were political figures such as Lyndon Johnson, Winston Churchill, and Martin Luther King. I mean, that's a pretty powerful lineup. Right. In 2005, they were celebrities, Bono and Donald Trump. Okay, now I can understand Bono. Bono, totally understand. Bono's got a lot going on, multifaceted kind of guy, but Donald Trump? That's that's sad that we've yes. gone from the world of Winston Churchill to the world of Donald Trump. Right. Again, not a self-made millionaire. Right. I always like he did not himself. He's not a self-made millionaire. Yeah. Rich he's, kid got richer. Right. Right. So rich dad had millions of dollars and then he moved on. All right. You know what, though? You can be the star of your own show. That's at SatelliteSisters.com. Right. Go ahead. Enter our Satellite Sisters funniest award acceptance speech ever. Even if you're not famous, you can win, all right? You can win something. This is how you enter. Uh, You're going to email us an original acceptance speech in 100 words or less. You're going to email to SatelliteSisters.com. Include your name, address, phone number, and email address in the body of the email and put acceptance speech in the subject line, all right? And what you're going to do, Leon, is you're going to write... A funny, we want funny, funny, funny acceptance speech. Now, Leon, you wrote a little one. I did. I wrote one. Here's the great thing about our contest. You can name the category and thank whomever you would like. So I won, for instance, for best roast chicken in a suburb or condo complex. <laughs> I like that, That was that, the Leon. award I was accepting. Boy, you rule that category, Leon. You rule. And I had to thank my son, Colin, who, who put, he's my inspiration every day because he refuses to eat anything but roast chicken. For breakfast, lunch, or dinner. I didn't know that. Yeah, this is a new thing. So I thanks Colin. You can hear my whole acceptance speech at SatelliteSisters.com for an idea. But go ahead. Name your category and thank whomever you'd like or whatever you'd like. We love your inspiration. We want to hear it in 100 words or less. And there is a contest prize. 
There is folks. a prize. That's right. <laughs> One grand prize winner gets our, our own version of a Hollywood basket, okay? Yeah. It's not the gift basket you read about in Us Magazine. No. But it's going to be pretty darn good. You're going to get a Satellite Sisters Uncommon Senses autographed copy. We have some uh, CD-ROMs from Desperate Housewives. We have movie soundtracks. We have all kinds of books about Hollywood. I think we're even going to put a copy of Fame Junkies right oh, in our that's gift a good basket. Idea. So there you go. But we need it before Oscar Day, that's which right. is on Sunday. Day. So do not dawdle 100 words or less. The funniest acceptance speech ever at SatelliteSisters.com. I'm inspired. This is Liz. I'm going to write mine for tomorrow. Okay? You'll hear mine oh, on Satellite Sisters tomorrow. And Wednesday. Sheila, we want to hear yours. Big, big speech coming Wednesday. We're going to declare the funniest live speech on... Um Funniest, live on Monday, February 26th. <laughs> okay. The day right, after the Oscars. Right after the Oscars. All right, maybe we should take a break now, and when we come back, we got a lot of things to cover in this, in this, uh, in this hour. Sheila, I know you actually, you're with your daughter Ruth. In New York, and yes. had kind of some serious Yeah, moments. we took care of a health, health, uh, little health scare we had. Took care of it. I want to report on that. All Good right. news. We're the Satellite Sisters. Stay with us. Sisters, I'm Sheila Dolan here with my sisters Liz and Leanne. And you know, we were talking before about my trip to New York and how you know my daughter Ruth is definitely her mother, my you know, my daughter. You can really tell she is because she loves to eat out. The other thing she really likes doing, which I'm glad for, very glad for, very grateful for after um, our trip this week, was that she does go to the doctor. And okay. much and, like her mother. Yes. I know we shouldn't laugh, and, but you're right. You know, she does. And she has her checkups. She has a yearly pap smear. She does everything she's supposed to do. That is good. And she knows her body, which is, uh, you know, for a 24 year old, a lot of young women, you know, they're just. It's, it's easy to ignore that stuff. Exactly. You really don't worry about your health very much when you're 24. That's right, because, you know, you're invincible. Right. Yeah. So or you don't have the money or you, you don't really know how to get your own doctor's appointment. Right. Well, she is very good at that and <laughs> she doesn't have any money, <laughs> but she still makes the appointments. <laughs> so um, about a month ago, uh, my daughter, Ruth, who's 24, uh, did a breast self-exam and found a lump, oh, found yeah. a lump, which she went right to her doctor about. And the doctor felt it. And the doctor recommended a couple things. The doctor recommended that she go see a radiologist and have them look at it, which very often, well, not not always, but, you know, if, the, if it's of concern, they'll have you look at a radiologist first. Right. And then she also gave her a backup name of a surgeon, which at the time when she gave her the name of the surgeon, we were both very concerned because we thought, why is she giving this the name of a surgeon? You know, what is, this must be very serious. Mm -hmm. I can understand why right. you might think that. Right. So, um, and the way she explained it to Ruth is that a radiologist will take a reading, you know, and will look at a film and tell you, you know, if whatever they see is of concern or not, but that a surgeon has a very specific eye, is extremely skilled and knowledgeable in what 
all different kinds of lumps are or not and you know what we should be looking for so this is this is what happened so she went to the radiologist and the radiologist took a picture and again you know we were sure this was going to happen but you're never sure until you hear the words right they said it's it's not to worry but nevertheless we did have to make the second appointment with the surgeon which by the time you know we got around to see the surgeon and i had to arrange to fly uh back to new york because very often what happens when you go to see a surgeon about a lump is that they take a biopsy. Mm-hmm. And just that word biopsy. That's scary. Mm-hmm. It's really Couldn't scary. could you have decided not to see the surgeon, though? I think, don't you think a lot of people, if the radiologist said you're clean, wouldn't have gone for the next test? You know, we both felt like we wanted to. And we went ahead and did it. Mm-hmm. And I'm glad we did. Because I had no idea what what this was. You know what I mean? And until I heard it from the surgeon... I really had no picture, and, 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 you know, they also now what they do is they have you go see a surgeon to see if this is something they need to watch. Mm-hmm. Because a lot of times a lump won't seem like anything, but then in a year or six months... It's much bigger. Right. right. So um, so I was really glad we went. And uh, so there we were in the office, and this was a special center, a special, again, the words is very scary when you walk into this humongous building from St. Vincent's Hospital in New York. This is cancer center. So you mm-hmm. walk and you thought, oh, you know, it's really weighty. You know, yeah. it's really hard. So we're sitting in the in the waiting room, and she has a million forms to fill out. Very stressful. And we go in, and the first thing they do is um, they have you consult with a nurse, and a nurse who really took t- about 20 minutes and went through Ruth's whole health history. Wow. Took down, you know, every relative that could have had, you know, did have breast cancer. And, you know, we don't have in our family the risk factors that would concern them, which is that, you know, our mother or our grandmother had breast cancer. Mm -hmm. So that's good. That's good to know because they do a whole new thing now called genetic counseling. And, they, you know, you can get counseling and they can isolate that, that gene, that family gene, and, and, and really give you a whole different kind of treatment for that. So, but nevertheless, they did take down all of her history, and I was really, really impressed. So we're still waiting for the doctor. And then when the doctor walks in, you're even more impressed because here's this woman who's just, you know, family pictures everywhere, you know, a million degrees, you know, 18 different awards from the city. That's what you want in your doctor, this, that is. You this, want a lot of stuff on the wall. This <laughs> makes a mother feel good. And Ruth's like, wow, look at that, look at that. And so we were, you know, but we were still nervous, you know. Right. You're still nervous. And Ruth had heard that the needle biopsy was very painful, which is not true, as we found out. So we had a whole other consult with the doctor, who was just, from the minute she walked in, very impressive, Mm -hmm. very down-to-earth, you know, extremely professional. And and so what she did was, you know, we are going to take a needle biopsy. She explained what it is. She explained you can't put a numbing agent in that. I mean, I know I'm going on about this, but it was all news to me. Right. And um, and I was in the role of, you know what, I better start taking notes because if anything comes up, you know, I should know. So I, I just wrote down everything the doctor said. And that's what I've heard people tell you you do. When Take you... someone with you. Yeah. Right. I've heard that too. Um, and then we parted ways because when Ruth went into the examination room and the doctor said, your mom can go, she said, no, mom, I want you to wait outside. 
And I had to respect that. Right. You know, so I waited outside. You didn't try to bust in. (laughs) That's good. Because that probably would have upset her if you busted in. I did not want to upset her any more than she was already upset. Right. Which, you know, the whole thing is pretty stressful. So they did the needle biopsy. They look at it right away. And the good news is nothing. Right. And she has what the doctor described as um, two out of the three good uh, positive signs that it doesn't look like um, a cancerous mm-hmm. lump and it doesn't feel like a cancer. And that's two out of the three. And there's one more test that you can actually do, which is a tissue biopsy, which goes into the ducts, which she, she explained, you know, if you brought this to another pathologist, another doctor, they would say you need that third test to be 100% sure. But she said, you know what? I can see you're not ready to do that. Why don't we do this? Why don't we meet in six weeks? And we'll reassess. Hmm. And you know what? Well, six weeks. That's really soon. Right. And I was, you know, again, if you met this doctor, you would be on board with it. You too. would just do whatever yeah. she yeah, told you, know you to what? do. Yeah. You would do Isn't what, that great? You would do whatever this doctor told you to do. I mean, what a great visit. And, you know, because we went through that together, you know, we learned a lot mm-hmm. about what to look for and um, and what, you know, what it isn't. And, you know, she brought out the diagrams and explained to us all the little details. It also sounds like she spent a lot of time with you. A tremendous which amount is, of time. That's so much the key in something like this. You know, sometimes you go in and you see a doctor and you're in and you're out and you don't really know what they told you and oh, you're just done. Okay, goodbye. Oh, no, 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 no. I mean, this was, you know, two consultations, an examination, a test, a follow-up. And um, a whole it's dis- the kind of doctor's appointment you like. <laughs> a whole dis- you enjoy that for a simple, you know, we, hangnail. We were so excited. <laughs> we walked out without the films. I mean, oh. we didn't know we were supposed to take the films with us. Oh, you excited you get to go back in six weeks. <laughs> Yippee! And we didn't know that this doctor is in such, you know, um, high regard and is so hard to get an appointment with. We forgot to make an appointment right there before we left. Well, so it's a I good called thing. up, good. did the follow-up. Her doctor called her to make sure she's okay. It's all good. Oh, that's good. Good that's work, good. Sheila. Good work, Sheila. Good work, That must Mom. be satisfying as it a is. mother. Very satisfying. Just to have been there to hold her hand. Absolutely. All right, coming up on Satellite Sisters, 866-33-SISTER, 866-337-4783. Need to get your opinion on something. Oh, really? I had a little run-in yesterday at the park. A I run-in I at the park, okay. Well within my bounds. Maybe others think not. Just want to get your opinion. Sisters, Sheila Dolan here with my sisters Liz and Leanne. So, Leanne, you've been on a very successful 
health and body fitness uh, plan. Makeover. Thank yes. you, Sheila. And Shape up program. <laughs> yes. you, you look great. Thank you, okay? Sheila. Thank you, you look very really much. Good. You've been doing diet, exercise. You're not weighing yourself. You're just doing it. That's right. I, I'm not getting obsessed in the number. But, you know, I'm about six weeks in now, and sometimes you kind of need to shake up your exercise routine. Oh, yeah. I right. like to go to the gym and take the classes, but often with the kids and everything else going on, I, I can't do that. So the one thing that I do every day is walk that darn dog. I've got to walk the dog, right? you got to walk the dog, so at least that gets you out. But even that gets a little dull. You know, mm-hmm. so I am lucky enough to live right near the Rose Bowl area, which is a big uh, recreational facility. There's the football stadium, but there's a running trails around there. There's the great aquatic center. There's all kinds of things. And one thing they've just put in is one of those par courses. You know, you see them in public parks. Those are um, public pieces of exercise equipment. Like, all right. There'll be a dozen of them set throughout the course, uh, throughout the park. And the idea is like you run or walk from equipment to equipment. And then you can sit down and do the chin-ups or the push-ups or the sit-ups. All right. So they're all different kinds of configurations. So you're doing that with the dog? Yeah, I've started to. Yeah, she's pretty good, actually. <laughs> she sits there while I, you know, do two minutes here, two minutes there. And it just kind of keeps me engaged in the workout because it can get dull walking the dog. So, um, but here's my dilemma. Because the equipment is intended for grown-ups, okay? Yes. It is because I know that even on some of the equipment, I'm too small. For instance, on the barrel roll, Liz, which is ready. <laughs> what is the barrel well, roll? Well, you sit in a seat, and then you're supposed to reach your legs out and roll the barrel with your feet. But if you actually sit in the seat as you're supposed to, my feet don't reach the barrel, okay? <laughs> and I'm 5'4". So the equipment is meant for grown-ups. And in this lovely park, there is a brand spanking new Two, count them, two separate playgrounds for children. There's one for three to five-year-olds, mm-hmm. and there's one for six to 12-year-olds. I nice. know where this is going. And they're about <laughs> 50 yards away from the parkour things. But instead... But instead, they're playing on the parkour equipment. Okay? That barrel roll sounds fun, Liam. It does, I can, I can see why I kids know. would like a good barrel roll. It's exactly that. It's exactly that, Liz. So they're playing inappropriately on adult-sized equipment. You know, sometimes I see people letting toddlers, like, climb up on the barrel roll. I'm like, what? First of all, 50 yards away, there is a brand new playground. Okay? Uh-huh. So I might feel differently. I'm all for kids exercising and doing all this. But I do feel like I have kind of the right to use the equipment it's intended for adults it's intended as an exercise course Mm -hmm. and i i feel comfortable in most cases just asking the kids to step aside because the grown-up who pays the taxes here in the whole situation would like to use the equipment for which her taxes have been used did you explain that you know sometimes (laughs) i don't go into the tax thing i don't think so but uh like for instance the other day there's one particular piece of equipment that i enjoy it's kind of the poor man's elliptical trainer so it's a bar and it's got swinging feet things so you put your legs in it and then you swing them back and forth back and forth back and forth like in midair right it's really a good workout okay that one that sounds like you're gonna kill yourself on that i know which is also why kids like it because they put their feet in and they swing up and down And that is always packed with kids. So I have in the past, I'll go up and I'll say, hey, boys, I'm going to use this now. Can I take a turn? They understand that kind of language. So, and, and in general, they're a little surprised and shocked, but they do accommodate. Yeah, taxpaying adult, I need to use that. Can yeah. I take a turn? But yesterday... I had, there was a group, first of all, this was bad. This was a low moment for me. 
I spotted, I was like going for the back and forth, back and forth thing. And I see this group of three girls running over from the very elaborate, beautiful playground. They're running towards the machine. Okay, they're oh. running. So I start to run. So, so, <laughs> so you can get them? there first. What are and these, we, like six-year-old girls? They're, they're nine, Liz. And we get there at the same time, and I actually have to put my hand out. I oh. actually have to make contact, and I say, no, no, I'm going to use this machine first. Oh. And they were a little surprised. Yeah. And then they just stood there. And they stood like two feet away from me, and they just stood there and stared me down. Oh. And I said, you know what? I'm going to be here about five minutes because I like to do three sets of 100. Uh-huh. I'm going to be here about five minutes. They're like, uh-huh. And they just kept watching me and watching me and watching me. So the nine-year-old girls in your neighborhood are now intimidating you? And so then I just did one set of 100, and I was like, this isn't enjoyable. This no, for isn't... God's sakes. Did you say that? I didn't say it. But I was thinking, for God's sakes, where are their parents? Why doesn't someone explain, this is for adults. You have, again, a very nice playground 50 yards away. So my question to you. Oh, you need a sign at the park course. Don't you think? Yes, there needs only? to be some signage. Yes. I mean, do you think I have a right? Can you, I kick the kids off, first of all? That's a good question. Yes, yes. I you think do? you can. Oh, I think you totally can. If you disagree with me, give us a call. Our number is 866-33-SISTER, 866-337-4783. Yeah, uh, you can kick them off, but isn't it posted somewhere that it's, you know, who the equipment is for? No, it isn't posted So they anywhere. don't have to believe you. No, I it's no. an adults-only situation. And that's why this little girl was giving me pushback yesterday. So it's a battle of wits there, and that's not enjoyable for you. Battle man. of wills. No. <laughs> well, 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 yeah, wills. Because I might win the battle of wits <laughs> over a nine-year-old. That's but the true. wills, I was not able. But I am surprised, Liz, when I see there's another machine. Again, it involves a rolling barrel, and you're climbing, and you're supposed to sit, and you move your arms and your legs. I mean, it's pretty elaborate, and the barrel rolls. You know, Lena, I can't, I'm very impressed that you even do this stuff. Because I always find those kinds of exercises totally embarrassing. Yeah, but I don't care. See, this I'm desperate. I'm a mother of two kids. She I have does to... not care what she does in public. Have you seen her do her workout? No. In pu- the way she walks around the neighborhood? Yeah. She runs. I, don't, I mean, I just, I don't have time to be embarrassed. She, I yeah. have to fit it in somehow. Okay. I mean, when I fold the laundry, I do leg squats in my own home. <laughs> I mean, that's how, because okay. I don't, don't have time. Don't tell anyone else that. I know, but I don't have time. So I have to do the parkour, and I think I'm entitled, and I enjoy it. But I am surprised when I see, like, grown-ups sitting on this one thing, letting the kids play on it. I, that's what I don't understand. Makes you crazy. Because I do, with my children, I try to say, like, that is not for you. No, you don't actually have a right to go everywhere. Like, as soon as those kids became five years old, they were out of those ball pits at McDonald's. Because it says clearly on the sign, under five. Oh. And I hated the ball pits anyway. So I'm like, no, no, <laughs> not for you. No, no, not for you. But I just... I mean, I don't know. As an adult, I would like to encourage physical activity. But on the other hand, these are adult. This is adult equipment for a specific purpose. But don't you think it's part of the larger issue that nothing is off limits to kids anymore? I think it is. You know, I don't think parents ever say to their kids, this is an adult party or we're going to, you know. This is an adult restaurant. Could you behave in a different way? The standards here are different than they are in the playroom at home. I don't think that's happening in many places anymore. So this is just more of same. Yeah. I mean, and I because feel- it looks like fun equipment to them, I can see why it's even less adult looking. And I can see it. You know, I mean, you can't stop the kid from wanting to play on it, but then you do as the adult have to step in and say, no, you have a whole playground over there this 
this is for adults. Hey, I'm buddy. Just, I'm just wondering how you can take the law into your own hands here. You I know. know. Like, post, well, post your own signs. <laughs> Do you, you don't really want to be one of those people, Leanne. You don't want to be the cranky lady in the neighborhood who's, like, printing things out on her home computer with a lot of clip art that's like, no, you can't use this. <laughs> I know, but I just think that here's the other thing, too, is you can talk yourself out of it if you think you might have to have an altercation with somebody's child or somebody's parent. Right. I mean, so the idea that if it's not being used, it should be fine. I mean, you're walking around the park at a big clip. So, you know, I'm, I would say just go on the equipment, Leanne. Just, I mean, just why does it have off? to be such a big deal? Yeah. Just go on the equipment. I mean, you know. So you think I'm well within my rights? Yes, like absolutely. I, remember, Sheila's the one that got into a giant altercation <laughs> with someone in her lane at the public pool, right? Oh, yes. In fact, I had a little fight yesterday on my day ba- day, first day back. Yes, a woman thought that my hand paddles might injure her. Yeah. And so she, two, two against one at the end of the lap lane, and it was intense, Leanne. They asked you to take your hand yes, paddles off? Yes, they told me to take my hand paddles off. Have you ever uh, had any kind of injury? Have you ever sustained Leanne, any injury? never before battle? have I been treated like this at a pool. It was two against one. And I looked at them, and I stared them down. <laughs> and she said, I hope I haven't spoiled your swim. I said, as a matter of fact, you have. Okay. Okay. All right? Okay. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I think too much revealing of your true self. Okay? And then, I, and then I put on my, my foot paddles, you know, and I started kicking away on those. Wait. You better believe it. Caused a small tidal wave in my lane. Well, see, I just, that's one, you know, it's just one small thing. I'm just trying to get some exercise done. I know. I, and it's a good thing, Leon. Did you see the new guidelines that came out on exercise yesterday from the American Heart Association? I, I thought it's we, intense. It's really intense. They're now saying, I thought 30 minutes a day or even 30 minutes four to five times a week was enough. No, the new guidelines are 30 minutes of moderately intense exercise on most and preferably all days. And if you need to lose weight or maintain weight loss, 60 to 90 minutes a day. Which is why... That's a huge commitment. That's why I have to step it up. I mean, the dog walks fast, but then I like stopping and like raising my heart rate. I do the steps. I do do the push-ups. I go around twice. All right, I'm an idiot doing it in public, but I don't (laughs) care. No, no. You should be able to do it wherever you want. All right. Jana is calling us from Memphis. Jana, you have the same problem. Yeah, um, I actually work at a gym. I'm an aerobics instructor, uh-huh. but um, I teach uh, school of classes. And, of course, most of the kids in the weight room don't know that I am an aerobics instructor because they don't go to the to my classes. And so I make it a point to follow them around and tell them to re-rack their weights or <laughs> clean up after themselves. And one particular incident, it's really bad, like, right after the first of the year when everybody signs up. Oh, right. Um, you know, they do their New Year's resolution and then leave. Yeah. Um, so they, um, there were some kids in there, and they had just left so much stuff. And finally I was so mad because it was interfering with my workout because I was having to unrack their weights and put their stuff away before I could do my stuff. Mm-hmm. And so finally I told these kids, I was like, look, I am not your maid and I am not your mom. Re-rack the weights. That's why we put the signs up there. Way to go, Jana. One of the kids' dads was there, and he wasn't too happy with me. <laughs> you know what? That's what I fear, Jana, is like that I'm going to ask a kid to get off, and then there's going to be this altercation, like the discussion of the rights of, of s- small children. Right. When, again, it's there is a playground. They have to look at it that way. It's for their safety. If, if a kid gets on the wrong 
piece of equipment. I mean, I've seen babies get their, I've seen kids get their hands smashed in those elliptical machines. I've seen people um, get their feet caught in the ellipticals. I mean, it's not for everybody. Thank and you, Jana. My dad is not going to watch them. Jana is giving me the strength. The, the, my convictions have been strengthened. Thank you, Jana. Because, again, this is adult equipment. Mm-hmm. I'm not over on the playground <laughs> running up and down the bridges that go up and down, even though that's... <laughs> Lots of fun. I don't like to do that either. All right, we're going to keep taking your calls. We're going to take a break here and uh, answer the phones. 866-33-SISTER, Dolan here with my sisters Liz and Leon. Leon had a little incident at the parkour <laughs> parkour yesterday. Does she have the right a right as an adult to kick kids off the parkour exercise equipment? That's and right. We're I was getting calls right now. I Leanne. was stared down by a nine year old. She was kind of mad that I had said that. Well, I I beat her to the equipment. First of all, <laughs> let's get that clear. I was there first. She was a little mad, and then she stared me down. And so I'm asking, you know, it's a public park. Do I have the right to actually boot kids off this equipment that's designed for adults? Hey, Andrew, calling us from Santa Monica. How are you? I'm fine. So, what do you think, Andrew? Okay. Uh, well, basically, I, as long as the park is open and there's no signs or there's no blockade saying adults only, it's open to everyone, so even you, if it's adult-sized equipment. Okay, so you think the fact that there's no signs is because, you know, like over on the kids' playground, there is a sign that says 3- to 5-year-olds and 6- exactly. to 12-year-olds. Exactly. But the fact and that like, there's no signs, that makes the difference for you, Andrew. Yeah, because that's why I joined the gym, because we do have that kind of park outside, and I jog on that trail, but I don't use the machines because there's always kids on it. Doesn't it make you crazy, though? No, not really. Okay. Because, like, if, you know, if, like, I had a child, and I'd be paying taxes to, for, them, uh, for them to be there, so I wouldn't mind my kids using it. Okay. All right, right, Andrew. It is something to think about. Andrew has a point, Leanne. He does have a point. That's why I think I'm going to have to lobby our Parks and Rec Division to get some adult signs. Clarify the policy. Because over on the kids thing, it is clear, three to five-year-olds, six to 12-year-olds. And you know, of course, I've had incidents over there when the kids were little and they had the older kids were playing on the younger kids. You know I'm the only one to speak up and I have faced the wrath of the mother's who, again, have used this, it's a public park argument to me. You've okay. just always been the enforcer, Leanne. I, ha- just, I just can't amazing. help it. All right, let's talk to Tracy in Maryland. Hi, Tracy. Do you have a solution for me? Tracy? Okay. Oh, sorry. Tracy? Um, yes. Hey, Tracy, you're on with the hey. Satellite Sisters. All right, Tracy, what do you think I should do here? Well, um, just like the last caller, I wouldn't bring up the thing that you're a taxpayer because I, my, if they were my kids on there, I'm a taxpayer too. But I would just ignore the the 
the young signs and start going doing your push-ups and your pull-ups and your monkey bars over on the kids' lot until <laughs> the moms ask you to please leave and say, I absolutely will leave as soon as you get your kids off of that. <laughs> oh, Tracy. That's diabolical. That sounds, first of all, like a stress buster. You know, that's <laughs> going to be relaxing for me to be over there. To try to force a confrontation. <laughs> yeah, and I would really like to see you in the kitty swings. I mean, I know you're shrinking, but I don't know. Could you get in the kitty swing? <laughs> all right, Tracy, I'll have to get really mad to have to use that strategy. All right, Katie is calling us from Virginia. Hey, Katie, what happens in your neighborhood? Um, my situation is a little bit different from yours, but um, apparently the children in our neighborhood believe that the end of my driveway is their soccer goal. Ah. And will put out their cones and make it their soccer goal. And we're the only kids, people on the street without children. So I kind of look like the butthead neighbor when I'm like, excuse me, um, I need to get into my driveway. And, like, I totally break up the game. And I really... I don't know. It's kind of horrible. Oh, Katie, I can understand your pain. Katie, you're not a butthead you're not neighbor. A butthead. We can tell you're not a butthead. <laughs> <laughs> you know, they, they block up the street and with their cones across my driveway. And I'm like, i got to get in the garage, and then you can play. That's fine. <laughs> See, Katie, you have that same scared tone in your voice that I used when I was confronting the 9-year-old girl yesterday. Like, really? I'm going to be here a few minutes, okay? <laughs> Could you just back off? Because I want to do three sets of 100 on this thing, this quick feet thingy. All right, Katie, thanks for your call. Oh, Amanda's calling us from Tampa. She supports me. Thank you, Amanda. I appreciate the support. And Annie from New York wants to know, where are their parents? Annie, I do too. Okay, that's what I want to know. That's another show. That is another show. If we didn't get to your call, you can always email us at SatelliteSisters.com. SatelliteSisters.com. SatelliteSisters.com.